Yeah, I had like dudes and all like they'll uh they'll drive like somewhere and then take an Uber to our office. And I'm just like, that's so silly. Like, why don't you just drive to the office? Like, there's no parking. And I'm like, what? Yeah, for sure. I, we rented a car. My girlfriend and I rented a car. We, we drove to Woodstock and like having the car was great. And then we got back into the city and we spent no exaggeration, 35 minutes trying to find parking around where she lives. And it was and I was just like, oh, I couldn't do this every day. Like unbearable. Welcome to the WWSD podcast. We are sponsored by Collector's Maze. You can check them out at collectorsmaze.com for all things related to fandom. I'm your host, Josh, and as always, I'm joined by my buddy, Seamus. How's it going, Seamus? Doing great, man. Cool, cool. That's great to hear. We actually have a very funny guest tonight, Seamus. Uh, stand-up comedian and podcaster, Matt Bacchus. He's a pretty uh, witty comedian, hosts an interesting finance podcast, Hold My Bread. We are super excited to have you on tonight, Matt. How's it going? I'm very excited to be here. I'm doing well. well. It's, it was a lovely, uh, I had a great day today, so I appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, that's good, cool. yeah, man. Totally. How'd you get into comedy? Um, it's actually kind of a cool story. It's a little corny. I won't I won't lie to you. It's a little corny, but like I I started stand up pretty young. I started stand up when I was about 19. And uh I started um because I don't know, every, everyone gets told they're funny. Like there's well, not everyone, I guess, but people get told they're funny. Everyone's like, you should do stand-up. So mm-hmm. I used to hear that a lot, and I would always brush it off because it's like people get told that, and not everybody that gets told that oh, should yeah. do stand-up comedy, you know? So I get told that a couple of times and we're hanging out with my, my friend and his dad in their living room. And he, one day he just pulled me aside and my friend was like, he's a very supportive dad. Like my friend was in a band, they recorded some albums, they went on tours and like they did a little bit of, of things here and there. And his dad was very supportive of that. And he pulled me aside and was like, Hey, you should really try and do stand up." And I was like, why? And he was like, I think you'd be very good at it. And he's like, and a lot of people are good at things, but they don't actually pursue them or work on them. And he was like, if you actually tried to pursue this and put effort in, he's like, I think you could be successful. And from that day forward, I tried an open mic and I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And immediately it all, everything clicked. I was like, oh, this is what I'm going to, this is what I'm going to commit to. Like I've you know, I've been fully committed. I mean, I'm 30. So it's like, I've been doing it for a while now. It's just so crazy. I don't even, I can't even think about what it would be like without it. It's, it's, yeah. So, but I just remember that conversation very, very distinctly. The uh, was about your first time when you got up there that made everything click. I mean, this is going to sound like a little douchey, but I feel like I did get up there. I went up on stage and I was like, "Oh, I am pretty good at this." Like, I think I my first set went pretty well. It was only three minutes, but I remember getting up there being like, "Oh, this is where I should be." Like, it's a very, it's a very. Um, I can't think of the word I'm trying to, to come up with, but it's a, it's, it's, it really did feel. I'm like, "Oh, this is where." I could do this like, pretty early on. I, I, was, I felt pretty confident in my ability. And obviously, you know, that's good and bad in this at the same time, I think. So but you said people were always saying like, you're funny, like were you in school, were you like the class clown or were you always like trying to like make jokes and shit? Yeah, definitely. Cause I always hated, like, I, I mean, I always hated school and like absolutely hated school. So my whole thing was like, Oh, this is just a social thing for me. Like I'm just here to be social and like getting into group projects back on chicks. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was trying you know, trying to like, I was always like goofy and scrawny. And so I was like, this is how I can like, you know, I'm in middle school and nobody's talking to me, but I was like, oh, I figured out, I slowly figured out, I'm like, Oh, I can make these girls laugh and they will talk to me. Or like I get picked on and I realized it's like, Oh, if I'm getting picked on, if I can like be funny when I like snap back at these bullies, I was like, that, feels amazing so i think i got really good at that as the defense mechanism of like standing up to people that were like kind of bullying me and stuff so um yeah i think i was definitely the class clown i mean i got detention all the time and like i I was just it was i was not a good student so i only ever got detention for being late yeah oh (laughs) i was late all the time (laughs) <laughs> oh man i got detention for being late i got detention for cheating on tests i got in, 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 in detention for like cursing out you know for like cursing like i remember one time i got written up i went to hand in a test uh or i was doing a test and the teacher is like giving a separate the second class so i go in hand it in and this kid said something to me that i don't, I don't even want to repeat it it was really he, he called me like a gay slur and i went standing next to the teacher i went i just went i fucking hate you <laughs> And the teacher and the teacher goes, hey, language. And I go, did you not hear what he just called me? And I got detention for saying I fucking hate you. And that kid didn't get anything like at all. So, yeah, I, I remember that very vividly. That teacher sucked. That's the same teacher that caught me cheating on a test and gave me a detention because of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I had it out for me. One of those makes sense. Yeah, um. it's crazy. <laughs> Prior to comedy, though, you said it was 19 when you kind of went on stage. What were you thinking about doing with your life before comedy? Yo, I do not know. I truly don't know. Like, I wasn't going to go to college. I knew that. I was like, 
I did not know. I messed around so much in high school and after high school, like I just didn't really have a direction. Like there was nothing. I had a pretty good job at a law firm. I like actually got a pretty good, yeah, it's crazy. Like I, I got a job at a law firm where they gave me my own parking spot and like I was doing that. And then as soon as I found comedy, I quit that job and got a job at a clothing store. So it was more flexible. But I truly had no, that's another reason I'm so appreciative and so glad I found comedy because it's like, if I hadn't found comedy, I don't know what I would have done. I might not have, you know, I might not be alive. Like, I don't know. It's, it's wild. Were your parents cool if you like quitting like that good law firm type job and going to pursue comedy? Yeah, because I think they knew that like. You hated it. Yeah, I think exactly. And I think they knew that that wasn't like a, that wasn't like a, an in for my future. Like I wasn't going to be a, a lawyer. Um, it's funny enough that my sister just graduated law school. So um, we do have a lawyer in the family now, but uh, yeah, I think they knew that I wasn't going to be a lawyer or I think that they knew that was just kind of a job. And I don't know, I'm sure they were very concerned about what I was going to do, but as soon as I found comedy, as soon as my mom comes, would come to shows, she knows a bunch of comedians. Like she goes to see comedy, even when I'm not on the show, like she'll go to the clubs in, in I'm from Indiana. So she'll go there and support comedy. So as soon as I did it, she was all, all, all about supporting. That's awesome. so. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. It's crazy. That, um, that first time you went up on stage, did you have like jokes written out and were you just kind of winging it? Yeah, I definitely had jokes. I mean, it's three minutes is longer than people think. And I wish I could remember. I mean, I don't remember the jokes at all, but I definitely had jokes. I went up the set list. Um, yeah, like I said, I know I, I do remember it going well. I'm sure it, you know, was worse than I'm imagining back on it. But I'm, I do remember it going pretty well and me being like, all right, this is good. Like, I, I think I can do that. And I think that's important. I think, you know, if you go up and do badly on your first time, I was like, I think that I think that can really affect you. You know, um, I don't know if it would have made me not pursue it, but it definitely feels good to go up there for the first time and get a little boost of confidence because I came out to the next open mic, you get six minutes and I came in and I felt, I already had that confidence of like, all right, I did three minutes well. So I just have to do another good three minutes and then I have a good six minutes. And yeah, it just kind of started there. It's funny because it just started once. Like I did one, that one three minutes. And then that just is all I did. Like when I think about my life now, it's just like the amount of time spent at open mics and spent at shows and spent writing. It's just like all I've done forever now it's yeah i like it it's great and that's like the thing i hear from a lot of comedians is like they say like the first time it usually goes really well where like it clicks for them and then like the second and third time like they bomb usually and then like they get like mm-hmm. and it's like oh, i don't know if i want to do this and then like i'm, I'm glad it worked out for you that it just you just kept riding that wave and all yeah i mean definitely and there were definitely times where i was like well that's kind of what i meant earlier when i was like kind of doing well and doing bad can be good and you know good and bad in different ways but i definitely feel like the first time you don't do well it definitely is like uh oh shit especially when i've Turn off. Yeah, exactly especially if you go up twice and those two times you do really well you're like oh my god i have such an inflated sense of self and sense of ability and then you do go up then you do badly and you're like oh no this is i'm not as good as i think i am you know <laughs> that sort of thing so but it's just all about learning lessons, I guess. That's cool. And when you went to that open mic, did you have like friends with you or you just kind of went by yourself? That's a good question too. I don't know. I think I just went, you know what? Actually, I do remember, this is actually one of the reasons I think it went well, because I remember at the open mic, you had to bring people. So I'm sure I, I think I had brought, I'm sure my mom was there. I'm sure I had friends there. That was a big thing, I think, for me at the beginning. And I think that's one of the reasons I did so well for so long. Obviously, I didn't do well Anyway, I wasn't perfect every time, but like I definitely had the ability where I was like bringing people to shows. Um, so I think I had kind of stacked the audience a little bit in my favor. And I think that helped because it helped me build confidence. You know, I, I'm up there with my first six minutes of jokes. And it's like, I don't know how to write jokes yet. I don't know how to do anything really. So I think having people on my side in the audience helped me gain the confidence to eventually do well when I don't have those people there. And uh, yeah, so I definitely, I do remember that now because it was a bringer. You had to bring like five people to get on stage or something. Huh. So. I've never, never heard of that. Oh yeah, I, I you had to you would have to bring like five people to get on stage, and you could get free passes out. So I remember using, and I think a lot of clubs do this, but it's like I remember using up all my favors for friends that were like, all right, we'll come see you later, we'll come see you another time. Like we've been to see you enough, we'll see you when you open for somebody or when you're doing this, and it's uh, you eventually run out of friends that are going to come see you because uh, everyone's come to see you so many times start putting craigslist ads out yeah yeah 100 or like I'm, you give free passes out and people that have never been are like oh my god thank you so much like for these free tickets and it's like really you're just using them to get on stage yeah. a little bit <laughs> they think you're doing them a huge favor and you're like oh no these tickets are nothing like there's a two drink minimum. they're gonna get their money from you you know <laughs> So you, you started doing stand-up in Indiana then, right? Yeah, so I started in Indiana. I started out at uh, open mics and then 
I started to get taken on the road a little bit. So I got to travel and do comedy. And then I lived in Indiana, or I guess I did stand up in Indiana for about five years. And then I moved to New York and I've been here for six. Why did you move to New York? Was it just because of the New York scene? Yeah, I mean, I just started to get to a point where I had like, I was getting, you know, on the road a little bit, like I was doing comedy clubs with people and being taken to places and booking stuff on my own and starting to like hit some of these milestones that I had been, you know, trying to attempt. And I think once I started to hit some of those points, I realized like, all right, well, this is getting to the point. And I remember having other comedians that were ahead of me tell me like, you're getting to a point where you need to make a decision where it's like, are you going to really pursue this at the next level? And what does that look like now does that mean going to a slightly bigger city like not slightly bigger but like a a city like chicago which is kind of like an intermediate city as far as like you know indiana to chicago chicago to new york is a lot of that's a common trajectory and obviously not starting in indiana but you know what i mean yeah 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 Yeah, do i want to go to indiana chicago new york do i want to go to new york right away do i want to go to la right away do i want to go to austin i considered moving to austin which to me at the time, Austin wasn't what it is now. You know, it's always had a good comedy scene, but Indiana to Austin, I feel, is a lateral move as, as far as comedy goes. And I knew New York was where I wanted to end up eventually. And there's always these things that people talk about. If you want to move to LA, people move to LA to get famous. People move to New York to get good at comedy. And I was like, all right, that's what I want to do. I want to move to New York to get good at comedy. So that's what I did. I, I moved here and it's great. I'm so glad I did it. But it was definitely like a conversation I had to have. And I remember it hit me one day where I was like, I'm going to move to New York. And I walked in and I told uh, my mom, I was like, I'm moving to New York. And she was like, really? And I go, yeah, I just think I have to. And I just committed to it and I just did it. And it took me like three months of living here to be like, oh, this is wild. Like, this is crazy that I just did this. And people would be like, oh, it's so brave. And I never understood it. And then one day I was here and it just hit me. I was like, I didn't know anybody when I moved here. I just moved here. It's just crazy. Like, which I think is good. Like, I think if I had really thought about how scary it was, it might have kept me from doing it. But I was just so, I don't know if I'm just stupid or or what, but it didn't really register when people were like, it's so brave. I'm like, I'm just doing something. It's not brave. (laughs) I I don't know any better. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes it's better to only be aware of the good possibilities, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like it's but I look back on it now like I lived in the Bronx, I worked in Queens, and so I'm like living with people that I found off of Craigslist in the Bronx in like not a great neighborhood, walking home at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. sometimes, like walking like an Indiana idiot. <laughs> and now I'm like I look back on that now I'm like, "Oh my god, it's amazing that you're not dead." I I you know, like I used to do a joke on stage about this, but the area I lived off of, I lived across from Cortona Park in the Bronx, like 172nd Street. Multiple women on multiple occasions would get off the train and they would sprint home. And I'm like, I wonder why they're running. And then one day it registered. <laughs> one day it registered to me. And I'm like, oh, why aren't I running? I should probably also be running. Like, it's just crazy. But that's the kind of thing where people are like, you're so brave. And I don't understand. And now I look back on it and I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a wild thing I did. But it worked out. So, yeah, absolutely. What was one of the bigger changes you noticed when you moved from like uh, Indy to like New York, like for the comedy scene? I was just talking to a friend of mine about this the other day. I spent my whole time in Indiana trying to get good at comedy, like getting good at writing, getting good at being on stage, getting good at performing. And then I moved out here and it's like that all that stuff is important, but it is a level up where you have to be good at like, you need to be able to run a show. You need to be able to network. You need to be able to meet people, put yourself in the right positions to succeed, put yourself in the right positions to meet the right people, make good impressions. Like the whole business side of this stuff is not something I ever really had to deal with in Indiana you know in Indiana the the bar is is low and I was able to separate myself as kind of one of the better comedians in Indiana which being you know relative to New York is nothing being the funniest comic in Indiana is like being like the you know the hundredth funniest comic in New York it doesn't translate so but so moving to New York and having to really get into the business mode is I mean it's like starting over almost because like I said I spent my whole time just being like get good at comedy and it will all happen and it's like that's not the way this works there's a lot of people that are good at comedy that are failing because they're not good at other things were you feeling like you were making it in indie at the time like were you at that pinnacle where this is as high as I can kind of go in indie I mean I don't know if it was as high as I could go but I think it was as high as I wanted to go in Indiana you know like I got to feature at my home club and I got to like I said I was on the road like I was booking my own stuff on the road and I was doing all the local shows and I was doing like still going to open mics and stuff and I, I you know I just kind of started seeing people coming up behind me and being like all right I think it's time for me to you know it kind of ebbs and flows and I think it's time for me to move on and like let spaces be filled by people that are also where I was a few years ago sort of thing so I think I was just like I said I don't, I don't know if I've I, I think I made it to where I wanted to I think I was just had five years to seem like a good a good 
position. Like I look back at what I had accomplished in five years. And I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's nothing. But at the time, it's enough for me to be like, okay, I think I can go. What's kind of like your, your dream level of like career success that you want to have? Where, where are you trying to go with, uh, with your comedy? Yeah, see, that's an interesting question, too, because I feel like a couple of years ago, my answer would be different than it is uh, now. And I think my answer, you know, in two years will probably be answered different than my answer right right now. But I don't know. I think I'd like to, you know, I think the whole goal of comedy is to build a fan base. I think I would like to just have people that want to come see me, have people that like what I'm trying to do, have people support me uh, in whatever way that is you know, whether that's Instagram follows or podcast listens, or uh, I think that's my real main goal is to, um, to be able to just have a base of people that support. Cause I think if you can get that, I think everything else kind of follows along uh, with that. So I think that's one of the things I would really like, you know, I don't know. I have ideas for shows. I think I definitely have, you know, some like pilots that are half written and things like that, that I think are good enough to where if I got them to the right person, that somebody would be like, all right, this is all bad, but there's two chunks of good in here. And I think we can like extract that and make that into something. So I definitely think that is something that I'm definitely, I would like to do. Are you interested in acting at all? Are you just more on the writing side? I don't know. I mean, I've never really, I don't really have a lot of experience with acting. I've auditioned for a few things. I've never gotten anything. I auditioned for, um, a show i auditioned for uh, what's it that old the pete holmes show that was on hbo crashing is that what's called yes i yes yeah i auditioned for crashing um and i auditioned for a show they were doing for amazon and the amazon show didn't get picked up and crashing got canceled so uh you know maybe if i'd gotten those roles they would those shows would have happened no probably not um <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i don't know I'm, I'm interested in it you know i like i think i could i'd like to learn and i don't know it's definitely part of this business that is, uh, is interesting to me, but I definitely don't have a lot of experience with it. And it's kind of hard. I feel like it's one of those things where to get experience, you have to have done it and you're, you can't get experience. No one will let you do it till you've gotten experience. It's like almost trying to get a credit, you know, a credit, yeah. like build credit. You might have like no people kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So but it's definitely something I'm interested in. But like I said, I don't have a lot of experience with it. Like these pilots are these in your head or be actually like spend the time and like start writing stuff down. I've written it down. I have a, a couple Google documents that I've got written and I'm working on a couple things like a smaller thing with a friend of mine, he directs like music videos. So we're working on a smaller thing now, but I definitely have like a pilot written that I would love to pitch. Like if I ever got the opportunity to pitch, I would have something that I could be like, this is something I've written that I can show you. And obviously I've got, uh, you know, I don't know. I feel like I've got like a, um, I don't know, not ADD, but I've just have like all these ideas and some of them are good and some of them are bad, but I feel like the ones that I can actually get down are like, okay, this is actually something. So, or it could be something. And these pilots are like comedy based though. Yeah. So I like one of the ones I had, the thing I wrote is like about my first job, which I think is a common, mm. you know, probably a common thing, but I had, a, I worked at a movie theater. So I think that's, you know, I haven't really seen anything that done before as far as like a show, like a movie theater thing. How long have you been doing the Hold My Bread podcast? Before we get into the podcast, actually explain what your podcast is to the listeners because we'll, that might be a little easier okay. of a transition. The podcast is, it's uh, me and another comic uh, out here, Joel Wachowski. We have a finance, it's like a comedy finance podcast and we have a show portfolio. So we update every episode, we update the, the, the audience on how much money we've made or how far up we are, how far down we are. We, we're fully, we just are fully transparent with the money we put into it, the money we make. We talk about finance news and we talk about news stories. We talk about crypto here and there. And it just, it's, it's a finance podcast for people that want to learn as we learn. Because we started the podcast not really knowing anything. And I think we've been doing the podcast now at this point for maybe four years. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah it's been a while. Um, but it, it's weird because it originally started with me and two other comedians, and then they stepped away and I rebooted it with Joel. So Joel and I have probably been doing it for maybe, I don't know, a year and a half, two years now. I mean, it's been a blast, especially living in New York. New York is, that's the thing that adjusting to New York was, was a little bit more difficult because it's like money is so important in New York. I mean, it's so expensive to live here. And there's, there's so much things where we were talking about, you know, owning a car. It's like a car in New York is such a status thing and shoes and clothes. And I mean, you're surrounded by all this money all the time in New York. So I was like, I wanted to do a podcast about money and about finance because it's all attainable if you could just learn how to do it. And I think that's one of the things on the podcast is we want people, like I said, learn with us. Like we are idiots, but we're learning. And we have some of the listeners are better than us at finance. Some of them know are on our level. Some people are just learning. And so we've done episodes on, you know, how to improve your credit score and taxes and, and things like that. So we're hoping people can kind of use it. It's not financial advice, but it's just things that they can use as a resource to hopefully as a jumping off point to see that finance isn't scary. It's just 
super rich people not wanting to figure it out what they figured out a long time ago. You guys didn't really know much about investing when you started it then. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. We started out not really knowing anything at all. I had to kind of teach myself how to do it and read and we just learned how to do it. And I, that was the other kind of goal of the podcast was to find people that can grow with us. And it's amazing because, you know, when we started the podcast, I couldn't really talk about finance, but I was like, I feel like now I could talk, I could talk about finance and because I'm not, like I said, I wasn't a good student in school, but I've managed to like educate myself and learn and do all this independently and make some money doing it, which is nice. When you've got a purpose for like for learning, it makes it a lot easier you know, forcing kids to learn things is not necessarily good. You have to let the kids, they're going to be more able to learn and more willing to learn if it's something they're interested in. I mean, that's seems obvious now, but I feel like that's a thing that people are still trying to figure out when they when it comes to teaching kids a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Now, are you also doing like uh, finance on the side as well for yourself? I know you, the podcast is a portfolio, but you also do like stock trading and stuff? Yeah, yeah. So I have my own, Joel has his own, his own separate portfolio. I have my own separate portfolio and then we have the show portfolio. So the show portfolio is a little different, difficult because we just take suggestions from listeners on what we should look into. And I don't know, it's kind of hard for us to juggle, you know, our own portfolios and the show portfolio. So the show portfolio, honestly, is is doing well. It's doing very well. I think we're at like, we were at one point, we we're at like 10K. So that's not bad for idiots. How much did you put into it though? 12K. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. We started with $50,000. Um, I think we started out with like 2K at one point. Like, okay. So, and we grew it and I think it's been added to slightly throughout, but I think overall, I mean, we're overall definitely way up. Like, you know, we're doing well. So, but yeah, I have my own, long story short, I, yeah, I do have my own, I have my own portfolio. So yeah, you're, uh, you're, you're deep in the doge, right? Deep. I am very heavy <laughs> in the doge. Yeah. Very heavy. I've been in since I got in January 1st when it was a penny. Jesus. So I'm, I'm, I'm heavy into Doge. Uh, I won't shut up about it. I, I, people, you know, people are like Bitcoin guys, crypto people are annoying. And I'm like, I fucking get it. I, I get it. <laughs> I am annoying. Uh, if you want, my girlfriend was like, what are you going to talk about your podcast? You can just talk about Doge the whole time. And I'm like, maybe you might if they bring it up. <laughs> so but yeah, I'm into Doge. I'm heavy into Doge. Very, very into Doge. I have a little bit of uh, Litecoin. Uh, I made a decent amount of money back in January, actually, when the, the GameStop thing happened for the first time. Nice. Did you come out on top with that? Yeah, I came out. I mean, not to brag, I came out pretty. I'm doing okay. <laughs> I'm, I, I made it all right. The Dogecoin is interesting because it's like it, it doesn't it doesn't seem to have any like intrinsic value as a technology, but it's 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 doing it's doing very well, you know. Well, it's like it makes me sound like a conspiracy theorist, um, but it's like it only you can give value to anything that we decide has value it's like money is doesn't really like the us dollar people want to be like the gold standard it's like it's not bad it's backed by gold like okay whatever it's like money only has value because we've decided it has value yeah. so if enough people decide decide doge has value it's going to have value and that keeps happening every day you know mark cuban is taking it at the Mavericks Arena. You can buy like Oakland A's tickets with Dogecoin. It, while it is not, it's not backed with anything traditionally like solid that makes sense. It's becoming more and more relevant every day. And I will, I will be the champion of it. I don't care. You know, I know they don't need me to be. Elon Musk is already doing that enough. But it's like, if enough people decide it's real, it becomes real sort of thing. I believe that. And why, why did you buy into it? Was it just for the memes or were you like really into it? No, I mean, I saw it as soon as it hit a penny. I saw, I remember the day I bought it. I was sitting at my day job and I, I remember seeing it hit a penny and everybody on, on Twitter was losing their minds. And all these people were like talking about how much money they had made because people were invested, you know, before it was, it was fractions of a penny. And all these people made a ton of money when it hit a penny. And I'm like, all right, well, I looked at the growth. I looked at the chart and was like, oh, it's growing pretty quickly. I was like, I'm going to throw $1,000 in at this. And I threw $1,000 in and it's like, it's paid off so much. Like, it's crazy. I mean, I, I've just been adding slowly throughout. I'm in. Like, I, unless it drops to zero, like, I'm fucking, I'm great. Like, I'm cruising. I, you know, I, I just kind of timed it perfectly. And I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But the last year, I feel like I've made like some pretty solid moves as far as finance stuff go. It's crazy. It's really crazy. So, and Doge has been one of the best. I mean, it's insane. The growth rate of Doge is insane. And I think that's what scares people a little bit about it. Where people are like, it's a bubble because it's growing so quickly. It's like, I, I get that fear, but it's like, if you can't throw $150 at it or like throw what you can at it, but I was like, worst case scenario, you lose that 150 Best case scenario, you know, you're, you look like a genius like me. Like I, people, th people are like, oh my God, this, you're so smart. It's like, I just gambled and I won. Like that's what, ha that's what happened. Yeah.
it's it's interesting like the because like like we we're saying that the tech doesn't have much value but there, there's a, there's a, there's a shit ton of value in the brand right now right yes definitely it's kind of the same with like fiat currency with like the u.s is good at branding their money right mm-hmm. i think it can just take it can take a really long time for like the true value of something kind of, to kind of be discovered by the market definitely absolutely that's that's probably why a lot of assets are kind of increasing in value too because of like all the inflation that happened because of covid and right well and then like people talk about bitcoin everyone wants to com- wants to compare it to bitcoin it's like it is different from Bitcoin because there are a limited number of Bitcoin. Also, people have Bitcoin like it's a commodity. Like Bitcoin is a commodity, but Doge is like an actual currency that people are using and they're using it to buy things with. Um, so it's actually trading hands. And then people also like to talk about Doge where they're like, I don't know the exact number, but like a certain number of Doge is mined every, every number of minutes and everyone's like, that devalues it. It's like, I mean, you could use that same logic on the US dollar. It's right. like the US treasury, they, they print money like it's like, no, they print money like it's nothing, and yet it doesn't lose. I mean, it does, but it's not, you know, solid for the most part, I guess. But people are going to still accept dollar bills, yeah. right? Exactly. It's like the dollar, you know, the dollar bill is still there, and they're printing more of those, and they're mining Doge every day. So it's like, what are you going to do? Like that doesn't. I can see that argument, but it just doesn't stand up to me. Now, do you do you feel like you might ever get to a point where you stop doing comedy to do finance? I mean, I, see, the thing is, like, with finance, for me, I would obviously love to grow our podcast audience. Like, the goal for our podcast is basically to grow our Patreon, take our Patreon money, put the Patreon. This is what we do already, but our Patreon is not super big yet. But we put our Patreon money. Everything that gets donated to our Patreon goes into our show portfolio. So I would love to get to the point where I can use the, my money from finance stuff and the podcast to fund my comedy things. Like, that's my goal. My, I would never want to not do comedy or not be in sh- like, just be a person that's on a computer doing finance only. That is not at all what I want to do. I like the idea of using my finance stuff to be able to fund my comedy stuff sort of thing. That's my main goal. And also, it's like finance is fun. Like, it's, I, people think it sucks. It's really fun. I mean, it's gambling. <laughs> <laughs> you're 100 percent right it is gambling but it's funny because people talk you know if i tell you guys i lost five grand on a on a baseball bet you guys are like what a fucking idiot but if i'm like i lost five grand in the market you're like well that's just the way it goes sometimes it's like <laughs> it's the market yeah the market's up and down exactly exactly so it's like it's all gambling but one you're an idiot the other one you're just a guy that had a dream you know <laughs> it's 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 funny too. like find out what some of these like uh financial instruments are like uh you know like futures it's like it's just gambling you know like I, i'm i'm gonna promise oh, yeah promise you i'll pay this at this price like you're just betting on on a, on a price you know that's what the whole GameStop thing is shown too. It's like a lot of this is just fake. It's all false. It's all propped up with nothing. And people are realizing that. Yeah, exactly. It's like everyone's people are realizing it. And everyone's like, can you believe this? And it's like, yes, absolutely. I can believe this. It's not hard to believe. Like that's what's cool about it though, is it's because like, and that's again, not to bring up my podcast again, but that's one of the things I want to I like about our podcast is our whole podcast is to show it's like people hear finance and they hear investing and they get scared off. And it's like that's what they want you to that's what they want from you. They want people to think it's too intimidating. They want people to think they're not smart enough. They want people to think that they're not capable of doing it. Like I said, with the GameStop thing, enough retail investors are seeing what's going on and they're kind of taking control of that. It's like, if you can take control of your own finances, it's not that scary. And once you figure that out, you know, you're those people that are making millions of dollars at hedge funds, they're not better than you. One of the other things that's been like popping up a lot is the, I think it's NFTs, the non-fungible tokens. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is that? Can you explain to me? Like, dude, we, you're on my level. So yeah, we did an episode of the podcast about those. And it's funny because crypto and NFTs kind of go together because NFTs are like blockchain. I mean, it's all those big buzzwords of crypto. It's like blockchain and like basically an NFT is like if you own a P, you own a picture and it's not just like owning a screenshot, you own the data that comes with that picture you own the information along with it like you own all of that and that has value for that reason because like i said it's not just people like i could screenshot this and it's like yeah you could screenshot it but it's not about the picture it's about the data behind the picture but you don't own the actual copyrights to like the pictures right right you just own that like chain of information basically yeah because it's like the thing because i know uh, some companies are doing it for like their digital art saying up of his NFTs, mm-hmm. but like you don't actually own the art. You can't reproduce it. You can't put it on t-shirts. Like you don't actually own the right. art. It's like owning a picture. It's like like physical things aren't you can't copy, right? So so like like it, it kind of brings that that aspect into like digital where it's where you can't just like do screen you can't just screenshot something and then if I bought the NFT for like some art, I can't put it on like a t-shirt and sell that t-shirt or coffee mugs. Like I don't own the art. No you you own right. Yeah. Go go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, is that right? Is that right or not? I don't know. Uh, no, because the copyrights still apply to it. Like, you don't own the actual copyrights. It's like buying a print 
You know what I mean? I I, I don't know, but it, I mean, it, it would depend on like it would depend on 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 the on the the rights. Whoever like made the token or like they could they could like pass the rights on with that. You know what I mean? Right. I guess that's true. I guess I guess every NFT is kind of different. Like there are probably some that you could buy and you do own and you could put on clothing, but there are probably some. I think it's probably you're probably right. It's probably just stipulations by the the seller and what they want to what they're giving you uh, when you buy it. But like Mark Cuban has a website lazy.com he got he owns lazy.com but that's just a basically a digital a virtual museum for people to display the nfts they have <laughs> so i mean and that's a whole they have tons and tons and tons of users already like i haven't i don't have any nfts but i made an account because like who knows maybe one day you know, this this shit this shit's really gonna pop off when uh, vr takes on i think absolutely i mean uh, there's people in like virtual worlds buying up virtual property that are like waiting for virtual reality to be huge so that then they can pay off that in, that investment will pay off of they because they own property in a virtual world. It's like, that's very real. We're very headed, we're headed that way for sure. So you're absolutely right. So you said you don't own any NFTs or, or do you have any interest in investing into it or do you just think it's more of a fad? I see. That's the thing for me is like, I don't feel, I feel like I can make an educated guess on crypto. I can make an educated guess on stocks. But it's like, I can't look at an NFT and, and be like, this will be valuable in a couple of years. Like I've talked to people that have bought NFTs. We're like, yeah, I bought an NFT for, you know, $1,500 and it's not worth anything right now, or it's worth, you know, what I paid for it. So I don't think I could look at an NFT and be like, this is a good investment. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there are certain artists that are selling a lot. There's this guy named, um, what's his name? Beeple. He is one of the biggest NFT artists. I mean, he, some of his stuff sells for millions of dollars. So if you could get, if I could get one of his where I'm like, oh, I know this is good, but just a regular, a random NFT, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So I'm not opposed to it. But like I said, I just don't feel like I'm educated enough to be able to make a good decision. You, you guys, you guys are trying to make one of your podcasts into an NFT, right? Yes, absolutely. That was a, we're, we're going to, and which I think we can, I think we, we didn't do that, but I think that's still an option where we're going to make the NFT episode an NFT that someone can buy, <laughs> um, which I think is still doable. I don't think it's actually like that hard to do. Have you looked into that much yet? Honestly, no. I've been so, I mean, as, as slow as things are with comedy, I've still been busy doing like other things like that. So it's, it's uh, we haven't done that yet, but it's still, that is still a goal. Like I would still like to turn that episode into an NFT and see if anybody would buy it. I think one of our patrons would probably buy it. You know, we, I don't think we'd get a million dollars for it, but I think, I think somebody would be like, I'll buy that. We have, um, uh, we have some pretty uh, supportive listeners. So I'm sure somebody would take what, it. Would be, uh, what would be that magic number you're shooting for? I think anything, uh, anything above, you know, anything above nine grand would be great. You know, I love to see a, t a, a nice round number, 10 grand. That's a, that's a great number. 10 grand is great. What's the lowest you'll take though, realistically, like between us. So an offer you like, like 400 bucks cash. Oh yeah, of course. Absolutely. If you want it for 400 bucks, it's yours. Like that seems fair. That seems more than fair. You know, I don't care. Whatever. You know, it means nothing to me, right? Like that's one episode of the podcast. If you want to pay $400 for it, you got it. And I think you still own the rights to use it as much as you want. Like that's, that's the thing. Like they don't, they don't get the rights. <laughs> yeah. It's literally no skin off my back. If you want to pay me that much, just so you can have it. Like, absolutely. I I kind of forgot about that. I gotta, I gotta look more into that on how we can make that happen. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt this podcast, but we have a quick message from our sponsors, Collectors Maze. They are hosting a comic signing with friend of the podcast, Dominic Pace. You might remember Dominic from episode 16 as Gecko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian, plus a bunch of awesome shows he's been a part of. So definitely check them out on June 27th at Prairie Dog Comics. All the information will be available on their page. Yeah, go get some comics signed by Gecko the Bounty Hunter. Now back to the podcast. So, so back to your comedy though. I mean, do you feel like you, you've made it yet or you're, or you're still got like a long way to go? Like where, where do you feel like you're at in your career? I mean, it's, that's a tough question because it's like, I feel like I've talked to people that have comedy central half hours or that have late night sets. And even they're like, I haven't made it yet. So it's like, I don't think that ever happens. I think I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. It's, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's like, there's a quote about Alexander the Great where like Alexander the Great wept or he like looked over his empire and wept for there was nothing left to conquer it's like no matter what you get you're never happy so it's like i'll never i'll never make it like i think i have to remind myself sometimes to look back at how far i've come i think i don't do that enough you know like because sometimes it's easy to get down on myself about you're not doing this you're not doing that but it's like when i started comedy when i was you know in indiana if you had told me like i, I headlined caroline's in 2017 i headlined caroline's comedy club in times square my head face was on a poster outside oh, that's cool yeah, yeah yeah so it's like 
you know, I did that and it was over and it ended. And I remember feeling really sad after it ended. Like I remember sitting in the bar right after the show because there was so much buildup and so much excitement towards it. And then it happened and I was so sad because I was like, oh, it's over now. Like now I just have to figure out something else until something. What's next? Yeah, exactly. Like what's next? So I think in that aspect, I think I'm good. Like I'm happy with how far I've come, but it's like, I'm not anywhere near where I want to be. I mean, I, you know, it's just a never ending pushing a rock up a hill, you know, it just doesn't end. Which is good and bad. That's just the way it is. Now, did you take a, a hit with COVID? Uh, I know all the comedians we talked to, like they all like said, like COVID just wrecked their careers. Yeah, I um, I don't, I don't, I don't think it wrecked me. I had a couple road things like fall apart, like some shows I was supposed to do. I had some trips planned. Um, as far as just talking about comedy it's exclusively, obviously it fucked up shit for everybody in, yeah, yeah. in different ways, and it fucked up shit for me in other ways. And just, but as far as comedy, just yeah. comedy, it's like I definitely had some shows. Yeah, I definitely had some shows I had to cancel. I definitely had trips I had to cancel. I, I definitely feel rustier. Like I still, it's still slowly getting back on stage. So I think it's, and it just sucks to have missed a year of stage time. You know, it's like I went a long time, you know, not doing stand up. And that's brutal because I was, I did, I did comedy consistently for my whole career, basically. I didn't go that long without ever not doing comedy. And, there was a point where it's like, oh, it's been it's been like six months and I haven't been on stage at all. And uh, it's weird. But I think, you know, I got writing done. I worked on those pilots and I worked on, you know, writing stuff and, and getting better on different things I could control. We, I think we really worked on our podcast a lot. So it's like I tried to switch it to be productive in other ways. But it definitely I mean, it definitely screwed things up for for me as far as comedy goes. But I wouldn't say it, it didn't take my career completely. My career is not anywhere to be tanked right now. You can't tank something that's not even that high up, you know. <laughs> Were you rusty, like not being on stage for that long? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first time I got back on stage, the timing is off. I'm telling jokes that I haven't told in a long time. I'm telling new jokes and trying to figure it out. I mean, it absolutely, it was, it was brutal. And it's even hard now because I feel like before I could get up on stage multiple times a night, usually, you know, multiple times a week and you get to a rhythm. And I feel like now the shows are happening again, but they're somewhat inconsistent for me. Like I'm still not fully backed booked with the way I was before and, it's just, you can definitely feel like you do a couple shows and you start to get the momentum back and then you go a couple days without or a couple, like a week without a, and then you feel the rest kind of start to build back. So it's like just so such a process of like, get the strength back and then lose it a little bit. And then you get a little bit more back and you just lose a little less this time. And it's just such a process. What do you think about, it is about comedy that like where it's, it's hard to like retain that muscle memory you know, that, that you, you might be able to retain with other skills. I, I think comedy is such an intangible thing to a degree where it's like, I don't, sometimes I don't know why I'm good at stand up. Like I have no problem saying I'm good at stand up. I think I'm good at stand up. Obviously there's people better than me. Obviously I'm not good all the time, but it's like, I'm pretty good at stand up. And I think some of the things that make me good are intangible and I don't know what they are, but I know when I'm not doing it consistently, those things aren't clicking the way they would be normally. Timing, confidence on stage. I think it all plays into that. And I just feel like not being able to do it consistently. Like I said, there's just things that are intangible that I think need to be kind of going and my brain needs to be firing in a certain way. It's like writing jokes. It's like people are like, how do you write a joke? And it's like, it's different for everybody. But I was like, but sometimes I'll just be sitting on the side of my bed and two things will pop into my head and it's like a phrase or two words. And I'm like, where did that even come from? It's like, I don't have a clue. I don't know. But that feel like that slop, that's, that slowed down a lot during the pandemic, during COVID. I don't know if it's just because there wasn't much stimulus or if I wasn't really doing much or if I was kind of getting stagnant or what, but it's just, uh, yeah, I think there's intangible things that are, you know, I can't figure out. It's a, it's a vibe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cause like when you're doing comedy, it's usually from like a live audience. Like people are there, they're interacting with you to some degree you're interacting with them. I mean, that's, that's why like comedy, like every show is different, right? There's never like two shows that are exactly the same. Right. And it's like some people laugh at things for different reasons. Some people laugh at setups to jokes. Some people laugh at the punchline to jokes. Some people give you energy. Don't laugh. Yeah. Some people don't laugh at all. Their energy in the room is different. You know, it's just like, there's so many different factors to it. It's funny because they're I've been doing obviously like a lot of outdoor comedy and that's a whole different vibe than indoor comedy. Yeah. And it's not bad. It's not as good, but it's not bad. I mean, I've had good sets outside that I'm like, that was fun or that felt good. And I don't know if it's just because I'm, it's better than nothing sort of thing, or if it's, you know, I don't know why, but it's, it's definitely uh, its own, it's its own thing. And the audience is a big part of that. And rooms are a big part of it. I don't know if you guys have probably heard like the whole smaller, tighter rooms are great. So it's like outdoor is the opposite of that. You know, like you want low ceilings. The comedy club I started, it had low ceilings. It was very small. It was very tight. It was great. And New York is known for that. New York has all these rooms that are in basements and it's, it's great. 
now the outside comedy like uh did you have to like cater your set to it like to, to kind of handle that or did you just do your normal thing i think to a degree i think i i think people you know it's kind of one of those things where like there's certain things you just have to address like to a degree but after a while you know people are like it's been, it got to a point where it's like this has been going on long enough like we all know that we're outside we're we're, we're at an outdoor comedy show so i I think at the beginning of it, it's like definitely there was definitely a need to kind of feel like you need to ad- ad- address it. But I think at a certain point, it's like we all know what's going on here. We know where we are. This is not our first outdoor comedy show. This is kind of if you like comedy enough to come to a comedy show during a pandemic, it's like, you know, this is what kind of comedy is at this point. So it's like you don't need it doesn't need to be addressed. So but at the beginning, for sure. Now, you said New York, though, is opening back up like you're, you're starting to get more steady work at least. Like uh, with the actual shows? Yeah. So the clubs are, I mean, all the outdoor stuff is still going on for the most part. Um, the clubs are opening. They're doing a lot of rooftop shows. It's all kind of happening at a good time because the rooftops are, it's getting much nicer out. So they're doing outdoor shows on rooftops or doing outdoor shows in parks. Um, and like I said, the clubs are opening up, which is great. I think Caroline's just announced they're opening up on like the 17th, I think maybe. So yeah, it's starting to open up. It's, it's great. It's, I think it's going to be a very good summer. Hopefully I'm hoping at least I feel very optimistic. I'm starting to get booked a little more. I have a show coming up on Saturday that I'm excited about in Brooklyn with some, with some people that, that'll be cool. So it should be good. Awesome. Are you, are you still going on the road at all? Um, I am not as much. I'm going to, before I would like, you know, that's the other thing. Like, oh, I told you trips get canceled and all that stuff, but I, I'm trying to go to, uh, I'm going to go to LA at the end of May. I'm doing a comedy festival in Idaho, actually, in Boise. There's a Boise comedy festival. So I'm doing that. So I'll basically go from New York to Boise, Boise to LA, and then LA back to New York. So I'm hoping to set some shows up on in LA. But as far as like regular, like weeks at clubs and things like that, I don't have any of that going on right now. It's so hard because it's so crowded. You know, there's so many people are, so many people are off comedy for so long. Now everyone's coming back at the same time. So it's very hard to get booked. It was already hard to get booked. Now it's even harder because there's just so much noise. And I rank low on the totem pole when it comes to like major headliners that are coming in and wanting to bring their own features and things like that, which is fine. That's just what it is. But yeah, it's been a little harder to get back on the road, which I miss because it's fun to do comedy in New York, but it's also fun to go to Denver and Chicago and, you know, Wichita, Kansas and all that stuff. It's just fun to go around and see different places, new comedy in different areas. So you, you said your, your girlfriend only together for about six months now. So she's never been with you while you were on the road kind of thing. Like That's true. Yeah. So how, how does she feel yeah, about thanks that? Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> well, she's not here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm always curious about that thing. Like, uh, with, like if you're traveling on the road, like how, how does she feel? Like, is it something she would travel with you or you just kind of do your own thing? That's a good question. This is a good question. It is like a, it's a concern. Honestly, we've been talking about the last okay. couple of weeks, honestly, because we've been we've been having honest conversations about like how we did start dating it, it kind of in the in the in the heat of the pandemic. So we're in a transitional period now. Where it's like things are opening. I'm having to be out at shows later, you know, and it's great. She's very supportive. Yeah. So even as just as New York's opening up, it's we're having we're in a transitional period of just kind of trying to trying to like get used to what you know, we spent so long in the pandemic getting used to what the relationship was. And now we're trying to figure out what it's going to be. It's great. She's very supportive of it. I think it's, I mean, it's like growing pains and it's transitioning and all that stuff, but I think she's great. Like I said, she supports me. It's, it's not at all a problem. I think she, I mean, she's excited. She's not behind you or anything. So you can. (laughs) (laughs) We're in a super tiny New York apartment. She can definitely hear me anyway. She's very supportive of like me going to this festival and me going to LA and you know, it's great. So I don't, I don't think it, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be, it's not at all a problem. So uh, like, what about, what about you though? I mean, that's, it might not necessarily be her, but like, are you able, I don't know if like, have you had like, like long, like relationships while doing comedy or. Um, I have not okay. actually. Uh, yeah, I have not. I had uh, a girlfriend for like a year before and it was fine. It wasn't a problem. I mean, it wasn't anything serious. This feel, this relationship I'm in now is way more serious than any relationship I've ever been in before. That's the other thing too. It's like, this is not a regular relationship. This is not like relationships had, it's not at all, you know, the same. So I, and I can feel it. And I think she could feel it too. So it's, it's cool. I spent so much time only focusing on comedy, like only focus on comedy the whole time. So I didn't, you know, I wasn't focusing on the needs of another person really i wasn't even focusing on like ways to better myself to be good for another person and i feel like that is one good thing that came from the pandemic for me at least is like all right i'm not so focused on comedy that i can actually be like all right let's do some like reflection and work on ourselves. and my girlfriend is very good about that like she works very hard on herself and on our relationship and it's like made me work harder so it's 
yeah, not at all. I'm not concerned about any of that at all, really. It's great. It's awesome, man. Yeah, because like, like the comedy lifestyle is is very like strainy. Like it's not like an easy lifestyle. A lot of people can't do it. I mean, like you said, like you're out like two in the morning, like those nights and and stuff like. Right, and we've definitely had those conversations where I'm like, I need, yeah. She's again, she understands that, but I'm like, there are gonna be nights where I'm gonna be gone. I'm out late. I'm and I'm not like out. I don't know. I'm out for a reason. I'm not just out to be out. Like I'm out of you're not having fun you're not having fun like you're working yeah exactly it's like and this is i mean part of the job is fun like that is part of the job but it's like that's it's just the way it is and again she's super supportive like she's we met at a comedy show like she managed oh, okay she was like man, she was managing a show and i and we we ended up meeting that way so she gets it she's very supportive of it and and we but, but like i said we've definitely had the conversations where i'm like is it gonna be okay if i'm like out this late and i'm coming back this time and you know she it's cool well that's awesome yeah yeah that that lifestyle does kind of does sound like a blast though to be honest with you <laughs> sounds like it sounds exhausting it's great. It, it sounds sounds so it sounds like so much fun i mean <laughs> yeah i mean it's the best job i've ever had it's it's a great job with great perks it's also super hard and miserable but it's like <laughs> it's very fun when it's fun it's cool i was just talking to a buddy of mine the other day we're like playing you know call of duty Warzone like 3 p.m on a tuesday and everyone else is like working and doing whatever and we're like this is great or like last night i got home it was like 12 30 and he's like do you want to play some call of duty and i'm like absolutely let's let's play what do we have it's just you and i like we're just two comics we can just do whatever it doesn't matter yeah dude like like hanging out it's probably like you it's kind of like writing a little bit right like when you're hanging out with other comics like you get ideas right you're riffing sometimes you like sometimes writing is different like you actually are like actively trying to sit down and write sometimes you're just you know tossing jokes back and forth sometimes you just are having a conversation somebody says something and you're like i want to write that down or you could do that with this or it's so fun it's the, this is the best and the like the, the the idea of um only having to be at a place on time like four times a week really like late at night sounds really awesome too <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like but it's also like that's just a small part of it yeah, it's like you I, always I have know, to be yeah. you know you get it you know there's more to it but you're right i mean it's funny like that tom i don't know how familiar with tom segura's material but like yeah. he has like an his opener on one of his jokes is like i just start it's like you know it's like seven or it's eight o'clock at night i just started my work day i have to work for an hour and then i can be done it's like it's he's obviously joking but at the yeah. same time it's like he's kind of right you know it's kind of true yeah now is there any other type of work you can see yourself doing besides comedy or writing or like like a job like that no, I mean, at the, well, I mean, I guess I could be, I could write, I would like to maybe write on a show for the experience to see what that's like. And, but it's not like a passion I have where I'm like, I would love to write on this, but it's definitely something I could, I would, I could see myself maybe doing, but I don't have any other skills at this point. Like I've been focused on comedy. I got nothing else. <laughs> All right. Comedy is it. So what, one of the other questions we usually like asking our guests is uh, any words of wisdom you like to share on like a young comedian, anything that you might have wanted to hear, like when you're like just starting out? Yeah, don't do it. No. Uh, don't, uh, I don't know. I mean, some people shouldn't do comedy. Yeah. It's like not a popular. Some people shouldn't. Like some people are funny, but they shouldn't do it. No. But if you're really gonna do it, I don't know. Like just work hard. Like work harder, and then work hard, and then work harder than you think you're already working. Like it's and get good at everything. Like do everything you can to get good. Write and perform, and you know, at a certain point, like when you're early you shouldn't say no to stuff super early. Like when you're early, it's like, you should probably kind of try and say yes to everything. At a certain point, I think you get, you outgrow things and, you know, don't need to do things. But I think people get egos and they decide they're not going to do things too early. It's like when I was doing comedy early, I was doing everything. I was doing early. I was doing all kinds of different rooms. I was doing rooms that were not good, but it all makes you better. It's all experience and it all feeds off of, it all feeds into each other. It just makes you stronger in different ways. Like I think this pandemic is, made me a better comedian to a degree because it's like i'm doing comedy outside like with people in the park yelling and like ambulances going by and it's like so if when i get into the clubs now it's like uh, somebody a waiter drops a glass or whatever it's like that's not going to shake me it's like i've been i've done shows outside it's like we're inside that's already enough like so i think that's that is that is some legit advice i say i guess i would give is you know do what you can like don't just don't be better than things was there anything that you wish you would have known that you didn't like when you were starting up? Well, like I said, I mean, I, when I was doing comedy in Indiana, it's like, I didn't know that I needed to be, to be good at networking and be good at all this other stuff. So that's the other advice I would say is like, be prepared. Like you're going to have to shake hands with people and meet people that you don't like, and that you don't respect business. It's show business. It's cliche, but it's like, it is, it is a business and it, getting good at navigating that early is, is helpful. Cause I, I wasn't prepared for that when I moved to New York and I'm still learning how to do all that. So all right, Matt, where, uh, where can our listeners find more of you at, though? Like, uh, where can they find your stuff? 
Yes, uh, it's all on Instagram, uh, like everything these days. Matt Backus sucks on Instagram. Uh, Matt Backus on Twitter. Um, I uh, have some clips on YouTube, uh, but I would say just come to my Instagram. Matt Backus sucks on Instagram, and uh, I've got a, I've got a new pin. I do. I, I used to have pins, like enamel pins. I'm having a new enamel pin made, so I'm going to post that on my Instagram. Uh, That's another thing I like. In, I like doing that is kind of a little bit of a hobby that I'd like to maybe turn into a, a bit of a business if I could. So I'm going to post that on my Instagram. So that's what I'm saying. So if you are into enamel pins, I have a cool enamel pin coming out and I'm going right. to put it on my Instagram. Pause real quick. Talk to us about enamel pins. Cause this was a kind of a 180 from the night. So enamel pins. So yeah, enamel, I think enamel pins are cool to me. They're like little pieces of art. I think they're very, some of them are very funny. Um, like I have an enamel pin. I still have that I made during the 2016 election. It's uh, Jeb Bush and it says, please clap underneath it. So I still have some of those. If you're interested in that old ass joke that no one cares about anymore. Um, yeah. I just think enamel pins are funny. You know, I have, I put them on my, I have a couple on my denim jacket that I think look cool and, some of them are funny. I just think it's a cool thing. So do you actually do you design the art or do you just come up with the ideas? I I come up with the ideas. I pay someone to design them and I pay to have the pins made. Okay. Yeah. So, but yeah, follow me on Instagram and uh, you can check it out. There's old pictures of the Jeb Bush pins and all that. So nice, man. Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast tonight. It's been really cool. So we really do appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for coming on. Of course. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's very nice to be asked to do this. So I'm, I had a good time. Oh, you also didn't plug your podcast. Where, where can they find your, uh, your podcast at? Uh, Hold My Bread is on Spotify, iTunes. We're on Google Play. Um, we do uh, an episode every week. It's been a little bit difficult. My my co-host is like, he was in Chicago, or no, he was in Ohio. Where they did the NFL draft? He went to the NFL draft to film videos. We do we do, we do do at least an episode a week. Sometimes they're on Wednesdays. Sometimes they're a little later. So, But we do at least an episode a week. Hold My Bread on pretty much any podcasting, anything you can find it. So check it out. Yeah, thanks, man. Right. Thank you, guys. Thank you all for listening. If you would like to support the WWSD podcast, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash WWSD underscore podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So what's, uh, what's your day job? Uh, I give art and architecture tours uh, in Midtown Manhattan. Okay. That's cool, man. Yeah. So, but I only work. I only work Sundays. I only work one day a week. Pretty sweet. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I told you I did pretty well with that GameStop stuff. I wouldn't lie. <laughs>